0: We're a lot alike, you and I. My mother was a hedge witch too. She died. I was 10. I didn't know you were a hedge. Oh, yes. My mentor, Everett, found me. Sounds dramatic. In an alley, gave me shelter, education. Believed in me. I will never need to do those things again, but my choices now seem worse
1: or Zelda. That's uh, why I agreed to give
0: you the location of the pipe junction cause someone gets hurt, regardless. because I know you'll work to keep things fair, safe. And you know
1: this how? Danny, you look like because you're tearing at shitty moms.
0: <laughs> Because you have the capacity <laughs> to sit with the woman who caused the death of the man you love. To try and understand
1: her. Yeah, good scene.
2: Aww, oh, I love that scene. Mm. <laughs> Me,
1: too. Hooray for empathy. And yeah. on, on that note, hi, everyone. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're talking about episode 409, The Serpent, written by Sarah Gamble and Alex Ritter. Our guest today is a filmmaker, actor, and visual artist, and in addition to her work on The Magician, she's appeared in Spider-Man 2 and 3, American Horror Story, How to Get Away with Murder, Scandal, Spongebob Squarepants, thought you would like that one, Danny. (laughs) and more. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Spongebob. Nice. (laughs) She also wrote, directed, edited, produced, and starred in the award-winning short film Huck's. But of course, you know her best as the librarian Zelda. Magena Tova, welcome to Physical Kids Weekly.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I have to say, I am completely fascinated by Zelda. We know so little about her other than that she started out as a hedge witch and Harriet as her daughter. What can you tell us about her backstory? What made her become a librarian?
2: So she was found by Everett, as she says, sounds dramatic, um, in an alley. And all we really know is that she, her mom was a hedge witch. And she's sort of alluded to this before in last season um, in six short stories. She talked about how she saw too much too young when she's talking to Harriet as a little girl. And um, she, so she's had a hard, a hard past. And I think that once she got into the world of the library she really wanted to become as much a part of that world as possible so she really, you know, I think it was a, an extreme difference from where she came She, I mean he found her in an alley right, so um, I think she really sort of grabbed on to this very sort of proper rule bound world that is the library.
1: I wondered if she also felt some kind of duty or like she owed something to Everett.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, I think she is very bonded to Everett. She says, like in that scene we just listened to, she says, I'll never have to do those things again, and we don't hear what they are. But clearly she, she was having to do some horrible things, or at least what she views as horrible things and um and I think she really sees him as her savior and as we sort of see how her relationship changes um in this episode with him and and what she thought he was sort of turns out not be really who he is anymore at least uh it's heartbreaking it's just really heartbreaking cuz um, uh, you know she 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 talks about you know harriet tells zelda what she's seen when you know while she's been in the mirror world and she doesn't and zelda doesn't know what to do with that information and i think this goes into also like how she views the library it the library um does good in her mind you know like all i think all zelda wants is to do the right thing and to do good and following the rules is the way to do that and um and so all of this is very hard for her i think
3: it reminds me a lot of, like, a cult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> and certainly yeah. Alice
2: sees it that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you know, at the end of 408, we see um, how, like, stricken Alice is that um, that Cameron's character has gone to the library and, yeah. uh, and how hard that is on her. And, you know, and I think, too, when you're in something, it's hard to see... When you're really in something, it's hard to have perspective and see what it could yeah. really be, you know, and how mm-hmm. it's awesome what it's doing.
3: Your performance contributes to the mystery of Zelda as well. It's very physical. In fact, one of your listeners...
1: One of our listeners. One of our
3: listeners. <laughs> not yours, <laughs> ours. <laughs> like I Was Ink commented that Zelda looks like she's floating most of the time. Were you inspired by anyone in particular... In particular, real or fiction? Uh, not really. I mean, I so
2: this character was brought on as possibly recurring, but um, hmm. there wasn't any real. They didn't. We didn't really know that she was coming back. So all we got, I, I found recently, the um, description. It was very brief, um, <laughs> and just that she was into rules and she was sort of, you know, straight edge and and stuff. And um, but it, for me, I, I started in theater. I started a theater company when I first got out of school, and oh, we cool. did very, yeah, it was a really cool company. I loved it. We did movement-based, site-specific language plays, and um, we could, we would, we didn't really care about gender when we were casting characters and stuff, and so physicality of the characters sort of always been pretty important to me, and it just sort of came out of those first scenes is that when i was preparing for the audition it just sort of came out in in retrospect like when i watch her <laughs> I, i'm i'm like to me she looks like this character ray bradbury had a theater company and i was part of his theater company for about a decade he's he was a wonderful guy and um one of the characters i played was this alien character in in this play called Leviathan 99, which was his version of Moby Dick in space. (laughs) And sometimes it reminds me of that character. Sometimes it reminds me a little bit of Peggy Bundy. (laughs) 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 But, um, but when it was coming up, it just sort of was this very, it just sort of came out of, I don't know. It came from who she was and what she had to say. And, 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 and it feels sort of like, Like she's balancing all the time, you know, that she's sort of like, like, again, it goes back to like how she, I think, you know, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know her past, uh, you know, in those first episodes, but now knowing where she came from um, and how important probably fitting into this world was and like being proper and being, getting away from the life of the alley and the hedge, you know, and all uh, the horrors that she saw um, sort of goes with it well. And I think, you know, always trying to do the right thing sort of makes Mm -hmm. her sort of, I don't know, it's like a balance kind of Mm -hmm. thing. I like the floating That's nice.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We've also noticed that she has her hands raised all the time. Is that just an affliction or is there some purpose to it?
2: Well, I think this is part of that whole thing, like the... (laughs) It did, you know, I heard people, I was, I did an AMA and people were asking like, is it about like, is she, so she's ready to do sign language and, um, (laughs) or is she ready? to?" (laughs) I know somebody else wrote back like, um. Like, I've talked to people who do sign language and they're like, do you keep your mouth open? Like, so you're ready to talk. <laughs> well, you know, when the yeah. characters I yeah, first yeah. sort of developed, I didn't know any of that. It just sort of went like, especially with the sign language it just sort of all really melded together really well that that was part that became part of it. I don't, I don't know. It's just this thing that is Zelda to me that came about when I was first I
3: feel like it's a defense mechanism almost because it seems like she has her guard up when Mm. she's doing it like she's ready to like kind of like like brush people off.
1: Maybe that's what the what people are reading into when they ask if she's like ready to cast a spell at all times.
3: Right. I feel like like she's like not doing it as often now because she's like kind of opening up to people a little bit more.
2: Yeah, well, that's a good point, actually. Like, in that scene that we listened to, um, it is a much more grounded scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, she, she has a pipe in her hand, so that's part of it, and she's mm-hmm. sitting. <laughs> but I think you could be right in that. I mean, it's not something I thought about, um, like, purposefully to do, but I think that could be part of it, too, that as she relates more, like, fully and more groundedly to, to other people. Um, I don't think she's done a lot of that. I think that Everett was her savior, but I don't think she has a lot of friends in the library. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of bonding in a way with Katie is very different for her. Also, like, a lot of stuff that's happened this season is very different for her. Like, you know, in 407, we see her sort of desperate and really, very different. We, I mean, she's very strong and powerful. She's a powerful magician. She's she gets to lay down the law a lot, and so a lot of things are changing for her. So, if you've noticed a difference, then maybe that has something to do with it
1: too. Do you ever regret that you made the choice to like hold your hold your arms up when you're <laughs> Zelda? Now that she's been in like almost every episode this season. <laughs> No, I really
2: love it and you know it's it's a way, it's a way in. You know how sometimes people talk about like when you're trying to do an accent, you'll have like a fr- a catchphrase mm-hmm. that you do to get into the accent. Mm-hmm. For me, as soon as I I become her, like as soon as I take on her physicality, it's like there and it's not like I'm thinking about it as I'm doing it. So it's not like I'm like, "Oh my god, I want to put my hands down." <laughs> it's just like um, you know, it's just part of her who she is.
1: Do your (laughs) arms hurt the next day?
2: (laughs) No, I haven't. I have not um, noticed that. My feet often hurt the next day because they have me. I'm I'm 5'10", but they have me in, like, five or six-inch heels.
3: Oh, Oh, gosh.
2: Yeah, because I'm supposed to be a very... Yeah, I was seen, I'm very tall in the
3: I was wondering was it this episode or is like the one before that I was like she's so much taller than Alice but I know that like Olivia's really <laughs> short too. So <laughs> they're all so tiny. They're so tiny.
1: I think it's this episode because someone posted a picture of a scene with you and Olivia and there's like a foot and a half's worth of difference. In there. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, they're really small. Like, um, uh, Jade is like I think Jade is a little taller than them, but like, you know, Stella and uh, uh, Olivia and um and Summer. Yeah, they're all really tiny.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think I read that they're like not even five one. Or like about five one something
2: like that. Yeah, there's they're very little.
1: <laughs> so, Magena, what do you like most about playing Zelda? What makes her interesting to you?
2: Especially this season, I just love how in-depth they've gone with her morals, hmm. what lines she'll cross, just who she is. And and she's complicated. And, and, you know, a lot of times in television, you play characters that are... You know they're they just have to be a thing, you know, yeah, to move yeah. on, to move the story. I, I've played a lot of sweet little nerds in my time. I've played a lot of drug addicts and prostitutes, <laughs> um, and um, and you don't always get a lot of depth with those. And sometimes you do, like on the Shield was a really awesome prostitute. <laughs> but <laughs> I love that she's really different. I love that she's a strong woman, and I, she's just really interesting to me. And and the more We sort of explore what she's willing to do, what she believes in. She wants to do what's right, and then the problem is, is that sometimes it's not always black and white, and sometimes there's not even a. Sometimes there's no great answer, and sometimes there's not even a good answer.
1: Which I think is one of the coolest things about the show, right? Morality is really in the gray area.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the wonderful things. Also, is is like they just they've talked about how the library is the big bad in this season um but from my point of view (laughs) zelda is you know just trying to do the right thing she's just Mm. um she doesn't get it right all the time or she doesn't get she doesn't make great decisions all the time or the decisions she has to make end up not being great but that's what i love about this show is like you said is that like they don't just say, okay, this is the good character, this is a bad character, this is a prostitute, this is the, you know. They're people, it's just, not things. <laughs> yeah. And I think we saw that in 407 is that like they took characters that are not always, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the heroes of a TV show and they made them heroes, at least for an episode, you know, they made them like the leads of. Uh, and I love that. I think that should be happening more and more. In television and I think it slowly is and magicians are great at that.
3: Hmm. Yes as part of your work for the magicians you had to pick up American Sign Language. Can you tell us about that process and what it was like for you? I really loved it.
2: Uh, Jack Jason has been uh, Marley Matlin's interpreter for like 30 years and he gave me lessons before Mm -hmm. that first, first episode I had to do and I loved it. I I love learning (laughs) and um, it just engaged this part of my brain that was just so excited to learn a new thing. And I loved being able to, you know, anytime there was a down moment or anytime, you know, you're waiting in line or whatever, I can, I had this thing in my head that I could work on, which was just fun for me. And I love languages weirdly, so not so weird because I, there's a show, You're the Worst that I had. I love that show. (laughs) Yes. And, and, and I'd done a little bit of sign language on that and Henry Alonzo Myers who is a writer and producer on the show oh, yeah. was a big fan
0: so it's
3: possible <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so that guy I think it's possible that he might have had something to do I don't know for sure with um bringing the sign language in I'd always sort of been interested in it but I had not learned it the way that I learned it for the magicians, and I really, really super enjoyed it. It was insane. So like on six short stories, they block shot those Mm -hmm. scenes, which means that like, because they all take place in the same set. So they would set up the cameras and we'd go through all the scenes and, and with wardrobe changes and everything. And then they'd move the cameras and then we'd go through all of them again. So you had to go back and forth and back and forth. And it was so fun and challenging and fun. (laughs) <laughs> I really enjoyed it.
1: I'm really curious. So, I, I my background is in linguistics, and I actually wrote a book chapter about sign languages. Um, and awesome. <laughs> I'm really curious if you sign, if you find that you sign differently when you're playing Zelda as you did when you were um, in uh, when you did it on You're the Worst, or when you were practicing on your own.
2: You know, on You're the Worst, they were just sh- such short little phrases mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it was different because on the magicians you know the whole conversation there was so much emotion with the magicians you know on you're the worst it was just like you know hey you want to go outside you want to like there wasn't a lot of emotion in it Mm. I mean you know it was what it was um but I don't know I mean I feel like it works so well with her character and it was I don't know it came really easily Mm. to me You know, people have asked me, like, did you have to work on your facial expressions and stuff like that? And for sure, like, um, people who do ASL, there's a lot – they use their faces for part of the language, right? Um, But I guess I've been told (laughs) that I have a a pretty expressive face, (laughs) maybe more expressive than some. (laughs) It all really worked well together, and I I really love doing it.
1: So I'm curious – You mentioned six short stories about magic, and I'm curious about your experience filming that episode, because it was such a big episode for you, and the silence or near silence is so striking on screen, but I imagine it must be a challenging episode to film, and so I'm really curious what it was like for you, what kinds of challenges did it pose for you as an actor beyond just learning a new language?
2: Well, there was a lot going on at that time. I had like I was sick. I had like I'd gotten a scratch on my cornea. Oh, <laughs> I had, like, no! like oh, was so much going on at that time. Um, but actually, you know what? This was interesting because there was like I was in the process of moving, and, and I was coordinating things from Vancouver while I was moving stuff down here. And but you know what? It really solidified this thing in me because as soon as I got on set, I went oh like. I didn't feel any stress. And I think it was like, oh, this I know how to do, this I can do. You know, this is, it it sort of solidified being an actor and knowing that I'm like, I can do that. I don't know how that sounds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. It's like you realized that this totally new thing was still sort of part of the things that you, the toolkit you'd been using. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And again, like I, I love languages. I every once in a while, I'll, I'll start learning a few at a time again. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I like learning as well. I'm sort of, I, I was a science nerd. <laughs> the challenges were really the biggest challenges were changing wardrobe. Hmm. A zipper got stuck. There was very limited time. That kind of thing, I mean, like Marley Matlin is amazing, and she's very caring and loving. and I mean, it's weird because the crew doesn't really know if you got it right or wrong, you know, mm-hmm. like we had a uh, um, a sign master on set, and we had the interpreter, so they were there to make sure things happened the way they were supposed to. but like, you know, they they just have to sort of trust that you've got it because, yeah, if you mess up a line or whatever. Um, it's very obvious normally, but
1: the director doesn't necessarily know if you're speaking a language that they don't speak.
2: Yeah. But I guess I would say that it was a really affirming and um, exciting thing where I felt really in my element. It's great. I don't know. I don't know how dorky that sounds, but it was, it felt really good to do that, especially with all the craziness going on outside of things like that was, I was like, oh, this is where I do my, I do my shit.
1: (laughs) Uh, Really briefly, what are some of the other languages you've learned? And do you have any favorites?
2: Well, I took Spanish in high school and I, um, I studied Russian for a short time. And sometimes I go back to that, uh, Hebrew, I grew up, um, Orthodox Jewish. So, uh, yeah, for like a few years, I went to an Orthodox Jewish day school, and so I, I can read Hebrew. I don't always know what everything is. Um, and then, if I do Duolingo, I'll usually do I'll do Italian, French, and Spanish since they're so similar. And then, I've sort of given up Russian for a little bit, but it's and really then, hard. <laughs> It is. I, so I grew up with a lot of Russian Jews too. So I'm, I'm a little, I like, I was exposed to it. So I, I, there are things that I'm like, oh yeah, I know this. I know, you know, but um, yeah, I, I would love to spend time (laughs) and really get um, a few of those to where I could Spanish I can do pretty well with, but um, it'd be great to like get more of those down pat.
1: Danny, if you don't know, Russian has has a lot of weird things about it, but the one that always boggles my mind is that um, there are different verbs or different verb forms for like different types of directions for movement verbs. So, like swimming, there's a couple different swimming verbs depending on whether you're swimming the same way or you're swimming like a different way from (laughs) someone else. (laughs) It's like all this weird stuff going on. I don't speak any Russian, but like having a degree in linguistics, you You like learn. That's awesome. You learn weird things about a lot of languages, because you have to, like, there's just a lot of typological work that you do to try to understand, like, the landscape, and so weird things. That's
2: awesome. (laughs) I like weird things. That's awesome.
3: (laughs) I don't know any languages other than English, so... I
1: thought you spoke a little French.
3: Yeah, not enough to get me
1: anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Do you speak enough to order a croissant?
3: Probably not. Not accurately, probably. (laughs) Like it's like little things like stick with me and mm-hmm. like mostly I just joke and be like I know like you know some of the French that they say in like Moulin Rouge or like <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. Moulin Rouge uh, nice.
1: I have twice had this weird experience I took 7 years of French and my um I've twice had this experience where someone I know who doesn't speak French Will just like start saying random things that they think sound French and eventually come upon an actual <laughs> sentence. My friend Rachel in college, what did she say? Oh, she said, Je suis le merde de chat, which means I am cat shit. And <laughs> my husband, <laughs> my husband said, Je vais manger mon bébé, which means I'm going to eat my baby. <laughs> 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 no. <Nope. laughs> It's so disturbing. It's like, you know, monkeys typing Shakespeare, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: one day uh, they, get that's Google Translate for you. <laughs> so I actually have one more question before I move on to the last question. Um, I want to know, like, how old to you? You might not be able to disclose this, but how old is Zelda?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can disclose this. You'll find out soon. Eventually.
3: Well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, All right. But let's just say she's, she's been, been around.
3: around. She's been
1: around, <laughs> old <laughs> enough she's... for the word "street urchin" to apply to her, <laughs> uh, her <Right>. origins. <laughs> yeah,
2: um, and let's just say also she's really believed in Everett's goodness for a really long time. You oh. know, and so that's a that's like a hard bond to break, yeah. and and to believe that things could be not how she believed them to be she's gonna be crushed so super eloquent but you get what I'm saying
3: <laughs> yeah so our last question before we move on to the episode we actually had two listeners ask this uh Quentin's Mage and Hale Mojito what's your favorite book and what do you think Zelda's is
2: oh my favorite book that's so hard um <laughs> and I don't know what the answer is I there I have a lot of favorite authors I love Oliver Sacks I love Ray Bradbury I love Mary Roach she's good I love she's (laughs) great uh and there are probably about a million others that I really oh John Fonte um Bukowski those were ones back in the college days that I were I was pretty into as far as Zelda. So, yeah, there are a lot that I love. As far as Zelda, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I feel like she loves knowledge so much that, like, how could she have a favorite? I feel
3: like she's like 1984, except from, (laughs) she's probably like the before (laughs) they start. Figuring out, like, that it's bad.
2: <laughs> right? Oh, um, I also have to say that I, for me myself, I had, um, I used to have two bunnies. I used to have four bunnies, but two of them were named Aldous and Huxley.
1: <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I really don't know how to answer that no, I, I have problems with favorites, <laughs> and I think <laughs> probably Zelda does, too.
1: <laughs> All right, so time f- to talk about the episode. I'm going to start with a recap, like I've been doing this season. Uh, So in this episode, Alice joins Katie and Pete, who are working to wrest magic from the library's control and strikes a bargain with Zelda, who needs help rescuing Harriet from the Mirror Realm and putting her shards back together. But things don't go quite as planned, and Alice ends up splitting herself in two and taking another trip through the looking glass before she's able to get Harriet out in one piece. See what I did there? Um, While she's there, she runs across the binder that Julia's been looking for, and while all this is happening, a group of magicians calling themselves the Serpent is targeting hedges with a parasite that will kill them when they cast spells. The library proposes a solution, placing a reeds mark on any infected hedge witches, which they'll remove as soon as the crisis is over, but as Harry reveals, the Serpent is actually run by the head librarian Everett, so he can instill fear in the fringe and consolidate his power. And back in Marina's apartment, Penny 23 takes a trip into the the monster's mind and discovers to his horror that the monster is doing something much worse than they thought oh and you know fen dethrones Margot. no big deal so, <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive too deep i'll start with my traditional question danny what do you think of the episode
3: this is like a really good episode um it's like a good meaty episode that's full of a lot of information especially since the episode previous to it was kind of more of a filler episode hmm. um so I enjoyed it.
1: Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, you know, I really I really liked it too. There's there's you're right, there's absolutely a lot going on. And <laughs> I I feel like I had gotten better before this at condensing my uh recaps. And this one just threw me for such a loop. This is like the third draft, cutting and cutting and cutting and trying to make it like anything less than half a page long. Um, but I really like, I mean, I always love getting to see Alice play against herself. Um, there are so many variations of Alice that we've gotten to see Olivia play over the past four seasons. Um, and Mm -hmm. it's always fun to get introduced to another one, especially like... We've been talking this entire season, Danny, about how mean Alice is to herself and like how she's not letting up on herself. And in this episode, Alice was literally mean to Alice. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of cool to see that sort of piece of her internal dialogue being externalized. It's one of the things I like about yeah. the way the magicians handle things like mental health. We've talked a lot this season, two about Zelda's sense of duty of order. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, at the top of the interview, too. And as she says in this episode, she's faced some choices this season that she never expected to face. Magena, what do you think that's like for her? Has her moral code changed, or is it the library that's changed?
2: I think the library has changed. I think, um, you know, um, hmm. I'm trying to make sure I don't say, I don't give anything away. but. I think she went into this believing in the good of the library. That you know, the library is there to preserve knowledge at at any cost because knowledge is the most important thing.
1: Hmm.
2: And um, and she really believes that. Then it becomes clear that it's that's not whatever it's all about anymore. Maybe. Yeah, I I think I think she's always Zelda's always tried to just do the right thing. I feel like I've said that a lot, but I really yeah. think that's who she is. I think she really is trying, um, and she cares about people. See, that's another. I feel like that's what it's really cool about the Magicians is that like, you know, <laughs> she's a bad guy for all intents and purposes, but she she cares about like she cares about Alice even and she cares about Harriet and uh, she she just really cares about people um
1: and it's sort of what you were saying right like the library has always said that knowledge is the most important thing and that's a thing that she believed but I think for Zelda and we saw it in that conversation with her and Katie right there's she thinks that she is helping people by preserving knowledge. And so mm-hmm. the realization that that might not be what the library is trying to do. And that might not be that like, maybe that knowledge can't just be an end goal in itself and still have right. positive moral consequences. That seems like a thing she's been struggling with.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we see that when she talks about when they were talking about how they're going to deal with the hedge, witches and and the serpent and everything. And, um, Zelda thinks that the library respects all magicians, right? Mm-hmm. That that's how it's always been. And so that's why it's so hard for her to understand, to like reconcile the idea that, that that's not what's happening, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, knowledge is important, but it, but you know, part of the library is, that's a thing about the library. We respect all magicians, whether they're hedges, whether they're breakbill trained, whether they're part of the library, we respect them because we respect people. I, I think that's that's a huge part of it. And yes, knowledge is the most important thing, but she's that's another tenant, hmm. is that we we respect people and we treat them right, I think.
1: Ravenpuff, for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, you know, uh, Zelda started off as a hedge witch. Do you think that's informed her view of the library in any way? Does she feel like she belongs there or does she feel like an outsider?
2: So I think that goes back to really even like how she holds herself, right? This mm. weird physicality that she has um, in that she is trying so hard to be- belong and to be proper. You know, the library, everybody in the library is sort of dressed very precisely and is mm. very proper. And she was in an alley when El- Everett found her, right? So mm. I don't think she was a little kid holding herself like this, right? Mm, you think she think she's was compensating. Year. I think that's part of it. She, you know, and I think she does it well, you know, um, I think she's not going to admit that things that ever, that things aren't comfortable or that she doesn't like the way, you know, whatever, it's all going to be the way she dresses. That's all the way it has to be. And she is going to go gung ho with that because she, I think has to, she has to belong.
3: I'm curious as to, like, what some of the other characters in the library's, like, backstories are, because it just seems like everyone's kind of there by some sort of emotional manipulation, like, (sighs) and that they're just all there and following a bunch of rules that they don't necessarily want to be following. Like, you have Penny, who's there now. Right. Didn't really want to be there, but now he's there. And then you even, like, I've been seeing it a lot with, like, that character, uh, Gavin. He really doesn't (laughs) want to be there, but he's there. I (laughs) love his character. (laughs) Yeah. I do, too. I think he's hilarious. Um, But I'm curious as to what the library has on him since he's... You know, I don't get... I don't get that from him. What I get from him is that he
2: enjoys the power in in a way. You know what I mean? Like... Um, I think he's like super blasé about things and kind of like um, over it a lot, you know. Mm. But I think he really enjoys the
1: power. I don't know. So he's like a hipster librarian. For
3: me, yeah. For me, for me, I pick up on the vibe that he's been there for a really long time and he's just kind of over it. Kind of like those people yeah. who work in like retail that just like don't care, but yeah. like. Because he's just like, you know, I don't feel like filling out the paperwork and things like that. Totally. <laughs> but also, like, um, he just
2: loves to... Remember when he calls Alice a book tart and, like, uh-huh. totally talk, yeah. talks shit to her? <laughs> and I think he really enjoys that. Um, yeah, I do. And I think also, like, um, Jewel State's character, mm. um, is she... I feel like there's so, sort of some of that in her character, too. Like, she is sort of obnoxious about (laughs) like about stuff and kind of flippant but I don't know I don't know if everybody is there because they have to be I think with um Zelda she I don't know that she has to be I don't think she feels she has to be there forever she wants to be there forever and she wants to believe that this is the best place you know remember when Alice is um in the hospital after after yeah, yeah. she's cut her wrists right and she says she's like this isn't a prison because it's if you go with it and you you know embrace it it's like the best thing that could ever be to be mm-hmm. here surrounded by knowledge probably because she comes from you know an alley <laughs> and as a little kid had crazy stuff go on like this is an amazing thing compared to that um, the Yeah. Act- to knowledge the access to you know very perfectly fitting clothes and amazing crazy culottes (laughs) you know maybe she's like she's like one of the she really drank the kool-aid hard (laughs) like she really (laughs) hard in what the library is supposed to be about you know And, and i think she enjoys that and loves that um I don't know if the other people are stuck there. I, I don't think all of them are. I think there are people in the library who are there. I think Everett's there be, because he, at least for a long time, because he believed in, in you know, what it was supposed to be, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Magena, I won't ask you to contribute to this because I imagine if you did, it would be very spoilery. But, Danny, <laughs> I'm curious. Have you thought at all about how the library started? No. to be honest i probably
3: should to be honest
1: i haven't either but this discussion is kind of making me wonder in part because right so i i felt
3: like it was kind of one of those things that was always there that's just what i assumed
1: like the library is probably getting like like, waggly eyebrows from the the background i love it you know i i think that's sort of how i viewed it for a while but the more I think about it somebody had to somebody had to start it somebody had to do it at some point and I don't know I'm really I'm really curious about that I don't know if that person was Everett and he just sort of always had he's just like waiting for the right opportunity to become a dictator or (laughs) if it was someone else and there were sort of some kind of democratically elected system and he just ended up in this position where he now is able to go like full tyrant. But it it definitely seems like there's like it had to start some way and somewhat deliberately. And I've also, we've talked about this a little bit. I've been really curious about the relationship between the library and the underworld since that episode with Hades. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I don't know. Where one begins and the other ends, and I don't what like. What came that. first, the chicken or the egg? Well, but like, totally. is it a hell library? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, because Penny Forty's there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he's in the library training somebody, or who is turning out to train him, and then we find out that he is also that like he's also in the underworld, and there's been all those little intersections. Yes. Anyway, something mm-hmm. that we should keep thinking about homework for the rest of the season. (laughs) Um, So I'm also curious how much Zelda knows about what's going on with the monster because she doesn't seem worried. Neither does the rest of the library, but I can't imagine it's not going to affect them at all. Magena, do you think it's ignorance or hubris or something else? I think part of
2: it for Zelda is she's distracted, you Mm -hmm. know, by her daughter, for sure. This episode, we see her in the meeting, just checking her watch to try and, you know, get out of there so she can go save her daughter. Um, I think that's the main thing on her mind right now. And it's probably some hubris too, because, you know, they're they're controlling everything at this point, right? And that's not really on the radar enough. Yeah. It's not at their doorstep. They don't really have to deal with it.
1: I think we've spent so much time thinking about what's going on with that, and like how it intersects. We we are both big fans of the Love Grossman books, and so we've had various running theories throughout the season, all of which lead to the the destruction of Fillory and some like larger. Uh, giant magic problem. So I think that's mm-hmm. part of it for me. Is I look at that and I'm like, how is the li- I, I have this idea in my head that real shit is going to go down, <laughs> and I can't imagine the library just like not giving a fuck. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, yeah, I think you're, I think you were right about the hubris thing. I think because whatever Everett is uh, doing,
1: whatever he's up and- to. Whatever she's up
2: to, he's involved in that. Uh, Zelda, who, you know, is next up in command, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's got her own stuff going on. And it's like, there's just not, it's not enough hours in the day, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's not enough hours in the day to save the world. <laughs>
3: Sometimes it's never- just fucked.
1: And they have that, like, they have that, like, library prime directive, as we found out in 407.
3: (laughs) So this is also a big episode for Zelda and Harriet's relationship. They seem like they might be, they might finally be reconciling their differences. Is it just time that's healed those wounds, or what Zelda went through to get Harriet back, or is it something else?
2: Probably both. I think definitely trauma, Mm. you know, um... (laughs) Of uh, of all of that, and I don't think Zelda ever stopped loving her daughter. You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think of course not. Her daughter grew up, and her daughter has a strong will. Um, I think Zelda had a strong will too. She survived clearly some crazy stuff. It's a mother daughter relationship. We see it like this, you know. We see Alice and her mother's relationship. It's a hard, It can be a hard relationship. As, I don't think Zelda ever, ever hated her daughter. Or I mean, she, like you see it on her face at the end of six short stories when Gavin throws the, ch- you know, breaks the mirror, like how horrifying yeah. it is for her. And she's going against the library sort of, you know, to 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 save Harriet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She loves her daughter. It's been hard. But, you know, that's what. That's what happens in families, right? Or can happen in families is like crazy crap happens. And then you like, okay, yeah, that happened, but you're my daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think she's just so thankful, so thankful to have her back at the end of this episode. She's just so happy. Um, I mean, I love that she calls her her baby, you know, mm-hmm. it's like heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, she had to let Harriet go do her thing, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she could have brought the hammer down and not let her out of her sight and stuff, but I think she knew. She says, you know, in back in Six Territories again, she talks about when she was a little, you know, she she gets that the world is wide, yeah. that, that there's so much that you want to check out. She understands that. Yeah. Wanting to explore and wanting to have your own life and all of that um, doesn't mean it's not hard for her.
1: I always kind of thought of it as like Harriet's extended room springer. Or something yeah. like that, right? Like she just,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. She just gotta she yeah. gotta check things out. She gotta see what yeah. the real world is like, and you know, drink some caffeine and booze and
2: <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter if it takes you know however many decades because Zelda, it's you know, <laughs> time yeah. doesn't move for Zelda. Is, so
1: she just needed to write some listicles before she could come back to the library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Totally. Um, so, so speaking of getting Harriet back, that scene where Alice returns to the mirror realm is so intense. Danny, what do you think is going on with the binder? Cause like, do you, do you think it could possibly be good that it showed up the way it did?
3: <sighs> no. Well, <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could, it could be like, I don't know. I thought for like a brief second, maybe it was like. Penny you just kind of, like, dropped it off. And but then like, Alice, only. too,
1: looks shady <laughs> as fuck when she p- picks it up, right?
3: But Alice, two is, like, locked in the room, so, like... No, 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 no. Know, it's she, after yeah.
1: that. The binder happens, like, right near the end as they're leaving, and Alice, one, and Alice, two are, like, fighting about it. And Alice, two is, like, just take it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she had anything to do with it, or if it was just that whole, like, her subconscious telling her yes and she's saying no
1: yeah i don't know if she had anything but it to do was shady with it. either way like i feel like she knows what's going on though it was real shady to me <laughs> dude
2: i mean just when you think about the horror the horrors of the fake Harriet, <laughs> uh-huh. like the mirror world is a scary scary place
3: yeah. yeah there's this creepy like creature things and and I I noticed that there was like a randomly a snowy owl that looked like Hedwig there too. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was a weird a snowy owl just hanging out.
1: <laughs> um, sidebar: Lanier and I just finished watching an Australian TV show called The Kettering Incident, which unfortunately did yes. not get renewed after the first season and left like all of these crazy things open. You seen it? I watched that. Wait a
2: minute, which because I've watched that's the one where she is she keeps falling asleep.
1: Yeah, yeah, she keeps uh yeah. she keeps like blacking out for hours yes. at a time. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. It, it's like Australian Twin Peaks, but um, they have like <laughs> several scenes where they're trying to have where they have like there's a lot of like nature things that are supposed to be ominous and one of them is they have like three different places where owls appear but every time I look at them I'm just like those are just cute. <laughs> they're <laughs> owls. Owls are cute. <laughs> <laughs> they are. The like hand-sized I moths are much creepier. I've seen, some scary, creepier. Looking <laughs> I mean, I've seen some
2: scary
3: looking ones. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: They murder small animals, but they're cute. Guys. They're adorable. <laughs> they're really
3: cute. <laughs> Yeah, they could have picked better ominous animals, I guess.
2: (laughs) True. Like lemurs.
3: I think lemurs are cute.
2: (laughs) No, but there's this one video I just saw of a lemur eating an egg with this very long hmm and it taps the egg and it's really scary i'll send it
1: to you. <laughs> have you seen them i forget what i saw something that was like what i think i think a, a group of lemurs is called a conspiracy yeah uh, right i think
2: sarah gamble
1: posted something. oh possibly like Yes. there was like a picture that went with it of like eight lemurs around a food dish oh that was creepy that was really creepy. That
3: sounds terrifying.
1: <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> back to the magicians. <laughs> uh, so, what do you two think of Katie's storyline this season? It's been really interesting to me. Like, she's not a hedge, but she's sort of become, like, queen of the hedges. Do you think mm-hmm. that she can do better than Marina, than the library? Danny, I'll, I'll let you start this one.
3: I hope so. <laughs> I mean, what did, like, Marina really never did anything wrong other than just be a bitch, though. Like, <laughs> she didn't lead anyone astray, as far as I know.
1: No, but I do think she abused her power a little.
3: Yeah, and she ended up getting killed by God, so...
1: She led Julia astray a little bit.
3: Yeah, she definitely did. She used Julia a lot, um, but she was still, like, there for Julia in her time of need.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Megana, what do you think?
3: Well, I think Katie has just... She has so much
2: more humanity to her
3: oh yeah <laughs> you know
2: i think she cares about people a lot more than i witnessed marina caring about people do you know what i'm saying yeah that's true and so like you know marina ruled by a force and i see katie ruling by with empathy and compassion and strength um and i think I, I think she—it's she, really exciting to see her character get become so strong. I mean, she's always been strong, mm-hmm. but to take on this kind of role, and you know that speech she gave in Four Oh Seven,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. She and and I think you know she had a taste of it as a cop, you know, and and she's had some she's had some crazy stuff happen with in her life, yeah. right? Instead of that making her hard and angry. It's made her compassionate and angry. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe.
3: yeah. I like most of what Katie has done so far, but I was kind of mad at her for wanting to sell out Whitley like right away.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: I think uh, she's going to be a great leader.
1: Yeah. I, um, I'm um, i going to keep saying this. Nobody gets my references, but I'm going to force people to look it up and like learn something about film history and labor history. But I keep referring to that speech she gives as her Norma Ray moment. Nice. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yep, continuing, no one gets my references. It's a good movie, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> it's about it. Okay, so, sidebar, Norma Ray is this, uh, she's a woman, I believe, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I believe she has, like, a factory job. Um,
2: yeah, I gotta look it up, because I feel like I know, okay, go on.
1: Yeah, and uh, she ends up basically organizing the other workers in her factory into a union um, at a time when there's a lot of union busting and it's really sort of dangerous. I think she has a kid too. And so there's like a lot of, there's a lot of complications around her personal and family life, but um, she, Gives a speech, a like very rousing speech. I believe standing on a table or perhaps a literal soapbox um, that is kind of her like <laughs> recruiting everyone into this and and getting everyone involved. And so that's what I always think of when I see that scene with Katie. Yeah, I,
2: yeah. Wait, who played her? Yeah, oh, Sally Field.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: totally saw, Yeah,
1: nice. Yes. Well, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah,
2: nineteen seventy nine. Hmm. Nice.
1: Eighty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so not quite as high as the Magician season four, but still pretty quality. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, where was I? Danny, I know you think that Katie and Pete are gonna be a thing. How do you feel about that?
3: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he like, he's kinda grown on me in this season, but I still like kinda like am like he's kinda gross like all the time. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's like those like that like leech that just kind of grows on you.
1: I do love that he ended up being love lady cuz I see that in the book love lady is just like a random shady ass character and I feel like that sums up Pete's personality very well.
3: <laughs> yeah. I don't know cuz like they they also have that moment at the end of the episode where he like it's clearly like he got the serpent thing, the little worm.
1: Oh yeah, bloodworm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he got the bloodworm. So, a little worm. <laughs> see where that goes. <laughs>
1: Did he actually have a worm in his ear at any point? Do you know, Uh They
3: don't show it, but he he see the blood and he like yes. he
1: like, takes the blood there's off. There's that his other ear. actor too. Did someone have to have a real worm like hanging around their ear?
3: I
2: don't think so.
1: Okay, <laughs> I don't good. think so. Like yeah, some elaborate so. gummy worm or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel like I do feel like. That might be a thing, but you know, I'm I'm Team Katie getting a girlfriend all the way. So
1: yeah, definitely Team. Uh, and I'm like, I, I dig the Wick off stuff. It wasn't it wasn't what I was going for at first, but ever since the uh, season two um, episodes where they were like living together, I'm into it. Yes, <laughs> not, and I think in. I think they're into it too. Given how uh, Julia was looking at Katie with the gun in the last episode. Just saying. Mm-hmm. She get <laughs> it. Um, and how do you feel about the Julia Penny 23 thing? Speaking of other things that would, like, fuck up that ship. Seems like Julia's kind of sweating Penny in this episode. It
3: does. And I just think it's funny that they, like, anytime they're about to have a moment, like, someone, like, comes in on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then now, like, you know, afterwards, it's like, there's just too much shit going on <laughs> to like, even think about it. Forever cockblocked. Um, yeah. I don't know. I definitely think she might be feeling vibes for him, but I don't think she's really interested in romance right now. She's got a lot on her mind.
1: Yeah. yeah. I feel got like they all do, her. kind of all yeah. the time. Magena, do you like watch the episode or do you watch the episodes as a fan at all?
2: Before we started filming season 4, I went back and watched um the first couple seasons and I became a much bigger fan. I mean, I, I became a fan. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's weird. Cause you know, it's sort of, it's just so like weird to watch them. Just, I don't know. The first time you watch them, you're sort of seeing them as your work, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but to go back, I, it was really fun to go back and watch them. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm really excited to be on the show. <laughs> I was already excited, but now I'm like really even more excited. Um, I love. I really love this show. I love what they talk about. I love the the topics they cover and what they get into. And I think it's really smart and so creative. And I I really feel lucky to be a part of it. It's it's really a fun one to be a part of.
1: So, as a fan, do you have any ships? Do you have that time? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I
2: love Margo and Elliot. I. I was intrigued by Elliot and Quentin. <laughs> I feel like Dean Fogg needs somebody.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, he's had people before.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like um he's an interesting character. He's so fun to work with. Yeah, I bet. He's really great. And um I don't know. I, I just, I love watching how everything develops and how everyone sort of trades partners and <laughs> <laughs> sort of an ongoing mystery of who will end up with who next.
1: <laughs> All right. So before we move on to fashion, we have one more storyline, which is, of course, the Fillery storyline. So first, Danny, what do you think about Fenn dethroning Margot? Well...
3: I feel like Fen didn't actually dethrone Margot. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure Margot dethroned herself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and I feel like that's a little bit of a ripoff to be honest, because I was really excited about Fen having to make like a hard moral choice. I just don't think that's Fenn. I don't think she
3: could have made that choice, not about yeah. Margot,
1: yeah, that's fair, but also, like, I don't know. Margot is still the person who sold her daughter to the fairies. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well.
1: <laughs> are you are you on the Fargo train now?
3: I don't think I'm on the Fargo train. I don't think I could ship them se- like seriously. Yeah.
1: I can't really imagine them together romantically. Good friends or at least like good frenemies, yes. But
2: yeah, definitely <laughs> frenemies. I love I love how what Finn is doing this season. <laughs> Yeah. I really love it. I love it. And I just Brittany is just she she plays her so well. Um, but you're right. I mean it it's I don't know. I can't see them really as a ship. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of comedy in this storyline too. Like uh, you mentioned this in your notes too, like the, how the second that Margot realizes Elliot's still alive, she jumps, Josh. She's like, nope, <laughs> don't need to wait anymore. Got my cue. things are gonna be fine and then Finn is just sitting there like should I go? I should go
3: I was like for a second there I was just like she should
1: just watch <laughs> I think she wants to <laughs> I, I have to say I wasn't sold on Mosh at first but I'm starting to like them more like I don't know that I fully believe Margot can have a non-toxic heteroromantic relationship or like any romantic relationship for that matter but it's kind of nice to see her try yeah. Do you think Josh is gonna wait for her?
3: Sometimes I think he's going to, and then other times I'm like, well, I really hope this Poppy storyline doesn't come back around. And <laughs> 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 Josh is a <the> daddy. <laughs> oh. I don't know because I feel like he's like, I don't know. I feel like he's inevitably gonna get pissed at her for something she does. Like,
1: yeah. Though he also forgives her super fast. Like he totally does.
3: <laughs> yeah, he, does. he really, he really, really does. Especially after that shit she just said to him. Like, I know yeah.
1: she was such a jerk,
3: mm-hmm. like knowingly a jerk. Yeah,
1: yeah, she was cruel, yeah. purposely <laughs> jerk.
3: Yeah, she, she like purposely said mean stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. went for the jugular. <laughs> um, I I agree with all that. Uh, I think though, I think he will wait for her. Just because I think that's the kind of person Josh is. I think he's. He's a total romantic, even if he's, like, making efforts in a direction that is not good for him. Um, And he's clearly smitten with Margot. Mm -hmm. I don't
3: know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, shall we turn to fashion? Yeah. (laughs) I'm really excited to talk fashion with you, Magena, because I... So, first of all, I really love the library aesthetic. um, And I think part of that is... uh, I, like I would wear that stuff if I could but also it's all this like old really structured wool and um it just kind of looks like old vogue patterns if you have ever seen like the sewing patterns um little bits of like the collar that Zelda is wearing this episode very much reminds me of some of the like Chanel collars that Jackie O used to wear and <laughs> yeah, yeah totally
2: i see what you're saying yeah yeah I love what she gets to wear. It's amazing. Every t- every time they well, I mean the first couple seasons I wore basically the same thing. <laughs> and,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then they started changing it up a little bit. Um and they've really played a lot with like I don't know, I mean, you know, it's all it's all the same color mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, it's shades of gray, but to to find such detail in those restrictions is kind of amazing. I love some of the collars the men wear, um, like in first or second season, the very tall librarian mm. who got killed. Oh, hit the suicide switch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he had this amazing collar that was just, it was like a bunch of, coll- like it was one, they just got smaller and smaller. Oh, kind like of. a
1: bunch of pages layered on top of each yes. other. Yeah.
2: Well, and that, oh. I love this part. So, you know, my, my pants that I wear with all those uh, pleats.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: Mogli, our designer, the whole – I feel like sometimes, i said this before, that she's got synesthesia, you know? Mm, yeah. She has amazing connections. And so those – the uh, pleats were to, supposed to look like the pages of a book.
1: Isn't it amazing, though, when you, like, come across somebody who's brilliant in a way that you never even – thought about like you never even realize that people could could be especially brilliant in a particular way
2: I feel like that's something another thing that the magicians is so good at is that you know there are people who do their job well and but then there are people who bring this incredible creativity to it so so you can go to them and say I come bring me something Mm-hmm. you know and it, and it, it it's like it opens up worlds like um margo reddy our production designer does the same mm-hmm. thing it's like she comes up with beautiful things that you that brings so much to the production i feel like
1: yeah we're talking to her over the summer over the hiatus yeah, um, yeah. we were we we're talking about doing it for for a specific episode but um, we wanted to be able to talk to her about 305 too so we decided to nice. to hold off <laughs> so we have to of course talk about this week's um, this week's monster shirt, the winosaur.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I just love all the like, giggle, the like chuckling that's happening
2: <laughs> over yes. the
1: line.
2: I just know that the writers and everyone on that show has such a, like, they love hiding. They love putting little jokes in everywhere they can <laughs> and r- little references. And like the writers are so good at that. And, um, yeah, and wherever they can put in a, a weird little weirdness, they will do it.
1: Do you have a yep. favorite monster shirt from this season?
2: I don't know that I can think of them all at this moment <laughs> and come up with a good one. Um, I enjoy them all. Um, God, there there was one that, that H- Hale wore. I can't think of them right now. That's Give okay. me some options.
3: My favorite's
1: Taco Cat. I thought that would be your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Taco Cat you like spelled tacos backwards.
3: And cats. <laughs> oh, and Taco Cat. You
1: know <laughs> yeah. I really like that one. I do also like the put your head in my mouth one with the bear. Mostly because it makes me think that it was like the bear makes me think that it was something that David Reed came up with, but then it's not. It's not. It wasn't his idea, and I find that just delightful. <laughs>
3: Um, I like the first one too. The, this is my happy face. Or is,
1: oh yeah,
3: is that what it says? Yeah, yeah. yeah there
1: that was
2: one I can almost picture, and I can't think what it was that I really enjoyed. And I saw Hill Wart wear it a whole bunch. Oh, There's, well.
1: we couldn't quite figure out what was going on in the one from last episode. I saw like an ear of corn, and I couldn't really tell anything else that was on the t-shirt. But
3: yeah, he, he didn't really show the shirt in that episode. I don't think. Yeah.
1: Oh, well.
2: but
3: Don't you just love that he
2: wears stupid, ridiculous shirts? That's yes. such a good thing for a monster
0: to do.
1: Oh, and there's the one that's in the interview that we haven't seen on the show yet, so it's not clear if it's in the show, but there's the one that he wears in one of the behind the scenes interviews that's like, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a dude in a kilt doing the like Marilyn Monroe over the great thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: awesome. Yeah, we
1: haven't seen that on the show yet. No, but if that becomes a monster shirt, that one might be my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Other fashion highlight for me this episode was Fen, just because she's wearing a short dress, which I don't think is... I think that's not something we've seen from her before, and it feels like she is... I mean, it's felt like she's coming into her own for the past two seasons, but to see her do something like that, that I think is very much outside the expectation of the wife of a King of Fillory um, hmm. was for me really gratifying. I just, I like it anytime she does something that feels like it's her instead of like it's expected.
2: I feel like we see that with her hair too, don't we? Yeah. In 408. Mm-hmm. Um and she has those braids. braids. Yeah, I love the braids. They're so great. Um, and they feel so hardcore, kind of like compared to her sort of,
3: fluffy, <laughs> yeah.
2: fluffy like, curls.
3: I feel like she like watched like Tomb Raider or something, and was like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what
1: I asked. <laughs> it was a Tomb Raider Karate <laughs> Kid double special, right? While <laughs> <laughs> she was, well, she like was all in all the Arby's. Stuff. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her hair has been interesting this season. It looks like she, like, took a crimper to her hair this in this episode. But I yeah. realized that it might be just because she took her hair out of the braids and it was curly like that. Oh!
1: Oh, you know, I bet that's it. That would be exactly the kind of detail that we'd get, that, like, in the last episode she had these crazy braids, and then in this episode it's all...
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Curly. I buy yeah. that.
1: Good theory. Um, <laughs> so... Speaking of hair, this is, I guess, not strictly fashion, but I noticed that both Katie and Zelda have some pretty elaborate hairstyles going on. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, like, Katie's harkened back to her season one look a little, so I just sort of assume that it's a hairstyle that she wore and got tired of and is now bringing back. But for Zelda, yeah, I I didn't really notice them before, and I always just thought she had, like, a a straight-up bun, like... Kim Novak in Vertigo but on steroids but now I've like in this episode there's a scene when she's talking to Alice and Katie with like Pete in the background where you see the side of her head and there's some wild shit going on
2: yeah well um hair people changed every season (laughs) so (laughs) it's sort of been and, and and in this season they changed halfway through um some of the people some of the key hair people and so um the hair did change a little bit. My favorite look for her is sort of the is it Veronica Lakey? No, that's kind of over the but where it's sort of smoother and we we also like for many seasons she wore, this is part of fashion have you seen Close Up? Do you know what her headband has on it? What her main headband has on it? Tell us. She also has um, a cuff that is made of the same thing and this is very wonderful detail that they do it's the um binding of a book oh. like the, the cover of the book she has a cuff that's a cover of a book and she has a um headband that's a cover of a book which is so great i just love um it her headband changes a little bit in this season thing like every all of her wardrobe changed a little bit more this season yeah so her hair got a little cray especially in 407 408 i feel like it got there were a lot of curls and Mm. it got kind of, but my favorite is when it's sort of, I I like, I don't know. It's sort of like swoopy twenties,
1: thirties.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, that I feel like is sort of really her main look.
1: Um, you told us about the pleats in the skirt. I was going to ask you about that, but you told us about it already. So I guess this is the last question we have before you go is if you could steal anyone's clothes from the show. Whose would they be and why?
2: Ha. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It's Let's see. Elliot is up
1: there. That's <laughs> what everyone says.
2: <laughs> right? It's just, I love, it's even going back to like the first season when he was, you know, when he was wearing these like sort of, I don't know, like when he first meets Quentin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he has like a suit almost kind of thing, sort of more structured. I love his stuff. Um, Margot stuff is really fun too. Mm-hmm. Like, she gets some great, great stuff. Um, I feel like they're, they're
3: the easy choices because they're so high fashion. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Totally. And let me just
2: make sure I'm not.
3: Although, okay, but Dean Fogg
2: also like if you're gonna dress in a suit, and like, have you seen his ties? Oh yeah, like, he like researched those. Like, he found so many different ways to tie your tie. Yeah. And he's so impeccably dressed all the time. And I love a good suit and tie combo.
1: like <laughs> And a pocket square. I like it.
2: All of that. <laughs> and Beth, the shoes. Even his shoelaces are always amazing. Like, he has <laughs> great shoes. And then, like, there was one pair that were, like, I think purple with like an orange
1: shoelace. Oh or yeah, he much. mentioned that to us when we talked to him yes, early this so. season.
2: <laughs> They're so good. So actually, he's way up there. If if I <laughs> I might steal his wardrobe. Although I really like Zelda's stuff. It's pretty great.
1: It is. It I is would great. trade the shoes
2: like for sure. I would trade the shoes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are they really five <laughs> inches high?
2: They are. I think about five inches high the first two seasons they were stilettos which was no (laughs) it was so horrible
1: how would you uh, even see them though they're under those like long pants and skirts
2: (laughs) you don't but you know it's the whole like Magali is into you know the whole vibe has to be there even Mm -hmm. if you don't see it (laughs) and then third season we got um we were like these platform little booties Which were still the same height because they were the same pair of pants, so it had to be the same height. Those were also horrible to wear. (laughs) Super cute, but then this season, I, I did you see them in? Like, I think we kind of see them when she stomps the cockroach. Um, But they're super cute and they're the most comfortable of all of them. But they're like platform heels with super chunky wedges. Yeah, and they have um, like fringe on the toe. Oh. And they're actually navy blue, and not black. Which big change? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> for her. She's getting crazy. <laughs> so, I,
3: yeah,
1: love yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, Zel- yeah, <laughs> Zelda's version of crazy is navy blue instead of black. Navy blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, branch it out. <laughs> ah, well, I can't believe it, but we're we're at MVP now. Um, so I guess I'll go first since I made you go last time, uh, Danny. This is a hard one because it's such an ensemble episode, but the two performances that stand out for me are Olivia's and yours, Magena. Um, you mentioned in the Reddit AMA that you have been told you have a very expressive face. You mentioned it here, too. <laughs> and it's true, but I think it goes beyond that. There's so much nuance and subtlety in your performance. It's arresting every time you're on screen. So like even when you're only in five minutes of an episode, it. It's hard not to look at you. So,
3: oh, that's so nice of
2: you to say. Thank you so much. I really <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> well, so
1: I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger and give my MVP to you this week, Danny. Oh.
3: oh man, that's like such a hard one. Mm-hmm. This is such an ensemble episode again. Um, it's always hard to give them for the ensembles. Oh, <laughs> it's painful. Um, you no. Know. <laughs> <laughs> this you is know, the longest I'm gonna, it's ever I'm taken i gonna her. do the same <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very good <laughs> awesome you, you are like really really good at this role like we we've been wanting like ever since just the the librarian showed up when she was just called the librarian <laughs> which for some reason <laughs> it's still called just the librarian on IMDB um <laughs> yeah <laughs> We've always wanted more of that storyline and so so happy that we're getting it this season and that you can Yay. bring it to life for us. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to toss this,
1: this I'm just going to toss this in here cuz my my husband isn't like he wouldn't be watching the show if it weren't for me but he does watch it with me sometimes um and you are his favorite actress on the magicians so (laughs) he actually last week he was like when are you talking to her and i was like next week (laughs) he was very excited (laughs) that's
2: awesome thank you tell him thank you
1: (laughs) so magena do you have anyone you want to shout out for this episode can be cast crew craft services whatever strikes your fancy
2: Oh, you know, I love the director from this episode, Carol Baker. Uh, yes, it was my first time working with her, and she oh, she's just so awesome. She's so grounded. She gets stuff done, you know, and like so you deal with a lot of different directors. You sort of meet a lot of and and they all get things done in their own way, and I just really loved how she she just remained calm. And mm. there was this feeling of like, yeah, I'm gonna take care of it. <laughs> I have, my, I can take care of this shit. And I just really liked her. She was great. <laughs> um, I also, I really loved working with Katie. I mean, with Jade, she. It was fun to have, so, sort of such an intimate scene with her. Like it just really was. It was a little bit like doing theater with mm. her. And, and and that scene where we pass the pipe back and you know where I, <laughs> I give her the pipe and we pass the lighter back and forth and it, it sort of like I I'm, it sort of changed every time like who ended up with the lighter every time we took we did the take but it felt so like in the moment and and you know and Carol just let us have our time and that was she told me that was her favorite scene and she actually had she was supposed to go back um, that scene got pushed. And she was supposed to, I think this is right, um, that she was supposed to go back to LA and she made them let her stay there because she wanted to make sure she got to direct that, that scene, which was awesome. I'm so glad that she got to do it because she was, she was so steady and it was a good good thing for that scene.
1: Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I looked her up because um, we've had a couple folks call out directors and it made me realize that we haven't paid as much attention to the directors as we probably should have been. Um, mm-hmm. And in addition to two other episodes of The Magicians, including The Flying Forest, which is uh, like one of my favorite for physical comedy um, mm-hmm. in the whole show, that and Maybe the last episode, the, or the one that just aired tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think she does a—I think she does a really great job, and she does like a lot of really versatile things. But yeah, like in addition to her work on The Magicians, she directed, or she um she was uh she didn't direct, right? But she was part of Mole Rats, so she's been around oh, doing uh, like yeah. I love
3: Mole Rats.
1: I know she 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 has like a cameo in that, and I think I can't remember what her role was on it, but she's like done a whole bunch of stuff like that, and just a wide variety of stuff over the years. Um, yeah, it's always really cool, which is
2: probably why she has this like she just she handles it you know and that's probably I knew she'd been in the industry for a really long time and that makes sense that like it always helps when you've been on other sides of Mm. you know when you've done other things like I, I for sure found that when I was doing my film Hux like to be a director and it makes you a better actor to be um, you know, an editor, it makes you a better director yeah. and a better actor, and so you totally see that in her, like she just yeah. you, you, there's never a question of like uh, you just trust and she she makes you trust, <laughs> which yeah. is nice
1: Actually, uh, before we get then to episode rating do you want to tell us about Hux?
2: Oh, sure, I'd love to um, It was a short film that I, like you said I, I, I did a lot on I wrote, directed, and produced and I did a Kickstarter for it. Um, I wasn't going to edit it, uh, and I had an editor on board and then he had stuff, family stuff come up and he had to leave the project. So I ended up editing it. I went and got final cut and I edited it too, (laughs) which was, I think ended up being, I don't know how someone else could have done it. It it sort of ended up being very, um, I don't know how anyone else could have done it the way that I did it. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because of, I was so in, involved with how Hux saw the world. It's about a woman who's on the autism spectrum um, trying to connect with others. And then the world ends and, and she sort of finds the connection in this very sweet way. Um, and so a lot of it developed like how I also went back and I I rented a camera and filmed a lot of it. And so it was really awesome. It was also very weird to Mm. see a story from so to reexamine a story from so many different, perspectives yeah, yeah. um it was weird and wonderful and then it also I was like I don't know what I, I'm so I'm too close to it I have no <laughs> idea how it's gonna like what people are gonna get from it and then like you know once I took it through the film festival we went to a lot of film festivals and stuff and for everyone you have to like make first you know a synopsis that's 250 words or 50 words or so you're constantly breaking it down and re-figuring out what it is, right? And um, it was an awesome process. And now I'm working on a feature, um, which I'm really excited about. And um, Kenny Johnson from The Shield is has a part in it. We, we worked on The Shield and also Crossing Jordan together, and um, I was, I'm real excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I was trying to I was trying to get a sense of what it was about and um, I should have just watched it, but I didn't leave myself enough time. Uh, and so I, I was sort of reading a couple of reviews, and I read a review that was by, from a film critic who's also a disability rights activist. And I think right, like what he, what he basically said was, I went into this feeling kind of like a little bit of trepidation because so many times when you get these films made by people who um, don't have the disability that they're portraying, it comes off as really sort of weird and can be kind of condescending, but he, what he said was this was fantastic. And I think that speaks (laughs) to, uh, they mentioned that you, that your dad was a, um, yeah, child psychiatrist and (laughs) Mm -hmm. had been involved with that community.
2: Yeah. He, um, one of his specialties was he's a child psychiatrist and one of his specialties is, uh, autism and, and, um, my mom is a pediatric physical therapist. Hmm. Um, she was actually army trained, but then, uh, ended up working with kids. And so she worked with a lot of kids who were on the spectrum. And then my sister's also a child psychiatrist. So I, I grew up knowing, uh, hearing about it, knowing about it. And then they really became, they were a wonderful sounding board, um, during the whole process, which was, was awesome. And in fact, I didn't, write it for her to have autism to be on the autism spectrum like that wasn't how she started she was just this character who had these traits and as I was talking to my mom about it my mom went oh she she has autism and I went oh oh she has autism and then it sort of all like kind of came together and kind of blossomed but it was like but it wasn't it wasn't really and also I mean you know I think there's there's a lot of um, things that can go wrong with with writing a character. You know, it's, she's not she's just a character who's on the autism spectrum. Autism is a really yeah. diverse um, thing, and so it's just one person with it and and one character with it and and how she experiences the world and yeah and and you know in in the same way I think she it's she's like this unlikely. Um, lead character, uh, unlikely hero, which is something that we've talked about just, you know, now about the magicians are really good at too, is um, taking people that wouldn't necessarily be a lead um, in typical Hollywood and making them the story about them, which is, which I like to do. I think there's, you know, it's time for that.
1: (laughs) Well, on that note, we are into episode ratings. Uh, We have had a ton of trouble rating episodes this season. I think our ratings have ranged... I think our lowest one... I think I gave a 7 for one. I think Danny's lowest might be an 8. And our highest ratings were 15 out of 10. So clearly we're doing (laughs) a fantastic job keeping it even keel. Um, This one is also a really hard one to rate. I really love the Hedge Witch storyline. I love how it's like on the fringes, it's there on the fringes where Alice is finally finding a sense of purpose and a way to help. Um, I also love that Fen is hiking now. I've been ready for her to come into her power for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm a little disappointed that Margot begs her to do it, but I get that that's probably the way it had to happen. Um, but yeah, I also think this is one of those episodes that advances a few plots um, a little bit. So there's no really big central storyline to make it, like, crazy. Uh, so I don't know. i probably, like, rate it as, like, an 8.5 out of 10 for this one. Danny, what about you?
3: I mean, I thought it was pretty important. Like, it's kind of yeah. advancing all the stories and in a pretty major way. Like, even at the end of the episode, you have... Um, Penny and he's with the, the monster and they're in his memories mm. and um, basically is like well we've been wrong they didn't tell us why they've been no. wrong yet but but it seemed like a pretty big deal uh, so I would say it's like a 9 out of 10 alright
1: cool <laughs> <Nice>. solid <laughs> uh, McKenna, we're not going to ask you to rate an episode you're in we're not cruel um, Thanks but so much. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to know your thoughts on the season as a whole while we have you here
2: Oh, well, I, I guess I'm a little biased. (laughs) I I love this season a lot. Um, I really love this season and I, I think, you know, it's timely. I think it, it, it's referencing a lot of what's happening Mm -hmm. in our world now, um, which is important and does it in a way that you still want to watch. I don't know. I, I love this season. I, it's made me even more proud hmm. to be a part of it and to be part of a show that you could just look at as fantasy sci-fi fluffy thing but it but it uses that to keep you engaged and talks about important stuff and talks about oh. timely stuff and it's yeah. so awesome to be to have to have a show like that and yeah i really love the season I think it, it gets even better
3: as we well, go on. Well, apparently we've lost some fans because we're conservative. Because our show is liberal trash. <laughs>
1: well, <so>. Danny, <laughs> Danny is a little triggered by a tweet she saw earlier today.
3: <laughs> oh, uh, oh, no, no. I've seen a couple. It's not the first one. But <laughs> there is someone who's like, I can't watch this season anymore because it's such liberal trash. That's and that. I was like, Good. <laughs> yeah, it's sad for
2: them. I don't feel like you know it, that that is their loss. That's yeah. all I yeah. can is it's their loss. This is a is in a good show and an important show. That's my personal opinion. Well,
1: you're you're in the right place to have that feeling validated. <laughs> right, <sorry. laughs> um, with that, I think we're basically done. So, Magena, thank you so much for joining us. It's been mm. just delightful. <laughs> um, oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Yeah, I hope Zelda doesn't die this season and we get another opportunity to do it. So, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps with our rankings and makes it easier for other fans of the show to find us. And if you want to chat about the magicians or share your crackpot theories or like rant about all the people who think that it's liberal trash apparently. You can find us on Twitter <laughs> or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Mind slide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.